And welcome back to another action-packed episode of the Deadly Podcast of Kung Fu, brought to you by the Villains Man. Myself, Justin Raymer, attempts to traverse the continuity of Marvel's most prolific martial artist in Iron Fist and Shang-Chi. If you want to keep up with the podcast, you can do so over on Twitter, Instagram, and now at Thread, since it's new and I'm back, at Deadly Kung Fu Pod. So, um, if you read anything on social media, I kind of uh, took a break from the pod. It was kind of on hiatus. I had entered the Top Cow Talent Hunt last year, and they were doing announcements, and they put a bunch of us in a group, and we were all talking and whatnot, and, and I made a connection with an artist, and I made a connection with a letter, and we're like, hey, you know, let's put some stuff together and, you know, make some pitches. So uh, I sent both of them the story, the story that I wrote, this horror story that some people have already read, and uh, both of them really liked the idea, and they're like, hey, let's do this. Well, for this talent hunt going on, um, as we were all... You know, they announced the winners, and obviously none of us had won. Everybody was, like, pitching ideas, looking for people. And, well, we were just going to do this as a whole, no money involved, you know. And, therefore, you know, you could start it on Kickstarter or even pitch it to someone like Image if you've got a full team, which is kind of what we had. And, well, now then these guys are like, oh, hey, I can take this job and get paid, and when I'm done, I'll come back. And so it was a letter, and I'm like, okay, well, you guys are doing this. I'm going to just take my story and pitch it to some, like, really small indie publishers. Which I've done, and uh, I've got some guys I've talked to. I've currently got another talent hunt that I'm involved in. Kind of waiting for the answer to that. So hopefully all that will pan out, and uh, maybe sometime next year I'll have a book published for all you guys to hopefully pick up and enjoy. If you like horror, I think that you'll like the story, because everybody that's read it has said it's really good. And during this time, um, I really missed doing Deadly Podcast of Kung Fu. Uh, I love Iron Fist, as I've said, you know, since we did this podcast. He's my favorite Marvel character, and I've always enjoyed Shang-Chi, and the more that I get into these books, and the more I dive into the Master of Kung Fu series, I really love the character. These stories are phenomenal, and you don't get a whole lot written this well in Marvel comics, or just comics in general these days, and so here the past couple weeks, I've like really been wanting to do these. And, uh, you know, I'm a father of two small toddlers, and it gets really hard. I've had a uh, uh, hearing recently. I've even had to turn down some people's podcasts for guest hosting because I've been just so busy with toddler stuff with birthdays, and it's kind of been a madhouse. So I was like, well, I really want to do this, so what's the best way to approach this and still keep doing it every week for you guys? So instead of doing the arcs that I cover each episode, I think each episode I'm just going to do one issue. It's smaller. It's a lot easier to edit. And even if I have hosts on, which my last two hosts were Evan Gray and Ryan Doze from Across the Bifrost and Mighty Thor podcast, it's a lot easier just to do one issue instead of covering two or three issues when you have a host on. And therefore, you know, if anybody wanted to come on and I could make the time for them to be available, it'd be easier just to cover one issue. The only bad thing is uh, with Iron Fist and Shang-Chi, we're getting to the point where we're getting more and more issues per story instead of just like one shot here and a one shot there, like uh, which we're about to dive into today with Master of Kung Fu. Uh, it's pretty much a nine part story, so you're pretty much going to get this for the next two months unless I release two episodes a week, which I might do if I can get caught up in enough time, you know, to do so. So, uh, so yeah, that's the game plan. Um, nothing has changed. I'm just going to do one issue per episode. And see how it works out. It's shorter, you know, like, you know, if you're in the shower, you're running at the gym, you know, or even if you're making a short card trip, you know, to your little comic book shop, should make for an easy listen. Won't, hopefully won't be no more than like 15 minutes. 
But um, if you've been listening for a long time and you're back again, I really appreciate it. Thank you a lot for even tuning in now since I've been gone for a couple months. If you're new, hey, thanks for listening. Um, I did look to see if there was any interest in doing this, and I was still getting numbers for my episodes. So I thought, okay, someone out there is new, and they're listening, and they're catching up on episodes. So that kind of just hyped me up even more to do this. So today for the episode, I'm going to dive into Master of Kung Fu, issue 61, which was released on November 8th, 1977, with the information that I have. And it was done so with nine other titles, which was the Complete Fantastic Four, Volume 1, Number 7, Rampage, Volume 1, Number 4, Amazing Spider-Man, Volume 1, 177, Captain America, Volume 1, 218, Doctor Strange, Volume 2, Number 27, Ghost Rider, Volume 2, Number 28, Miss Marvel, Volume 1, Number 14, Star Wars, Volume 1, Number 8, and Thor, Volume 1, Number 268. The title of this story is called Glass Orchids. Our creative team for this story, as always, Doug Minch on writing. For pencils, we got Jim Craig. For inks, we got John Tagaloni. Colors, we got Phil Rachelson. Letters, we got Peter Iro. And the editor, as always, is Archie Goodwin. Man, it's going to take a while to get used to doing that. I haven't done it in so long. And Tartagaloni was a lot. Oh, I guess they were just used to roll right off the tongue. I'm going to have to learn to get in sync with that without missing a beat. Uh, the cover is done by Jim Craig and Frank Cermonte despite what you might see on other sites. And uh, the cover is pretty straightforward. We've got a new villain introduced called Skull Crusher, and the tag is titled Savage is a Skull Crusher. As basically, uh, he's basically got wrecking balls with chains attached to them, and they're all over him, obviously. He's a um, an Asian villain, because that's what we get a lot of these guys who are all tied to Fu Manchu and other Asian villains of the time for these grindhouse martial arts comics that Shang-Chi is fighting in. Uh, they're fighting apparently up against a brick wall, and we're seeing how dangerous he is as he's destroying the wall with one of these massive wrecking balls. And I really don't understand uh, why we need a guy who's got a chain with a giant wrecking ball. We already have Thunderball in the Wrecking Crew, who we've recently had an Iron Fist in the last couple issues, and the Wrecking Crew hasn't even been around that long at this time. So I'm not really sure what the idea for this was at the time. And then we've got um, Shadow Striker, who worked for Fu Manchu and the Sea Fan Assassins. Uh, and he basically had Wrecking Balls, or I should say the head of Mooring Stars, tied up into the braids on his head. So it was kind of, in a way, the same thing. So the uh, character seems redundant. The design's not all that great. Um, he looks more like he's out of a Conan movie, which we get a lot of that with the Sea Fan Assassins and whatnot. Gives you a lot to desire here with the design of the character. So what I'm about to do, I'm going to go ahead and get to the summary of this issue. And then as usual, I'll break off to some notes. You ain't got to worry about a commercial anymore or um, an ad from another podcast with a promo. We're just going to cut straight right to it. So let's go ahead and get into Glass Orchids. With Liko leaving him, Blackjack Tar allows Shang-Chi to move into his hotel room with him. As he is lost in contemplation about the relationship with his love, he doesn't realize that his friend is letting him know he's meeting with Sir Dennis Nayland Smith at the hospital to see Miss Greville. As soon as Shang-Chi notices Tar has left, the grizzled veteran doesn't realize he's being stalked in the chilly London night. At the hospital, Miss Greville is surprised to see Dennis Smith as he walks in to greet her with flowers. To his delight, she tells him they are releasing her as soon as papers are signed. As Miss Greville informs Smith that Clive Reston is picking her up, it seems the head of MI6 has had a change of heart about its former agent, 
Nevertheless, thrilled with her return, he asked her to sort through recent correspondence that received that required the secretary's unique filing system. Meanwhile, at Liko's apartment, the rooms are filled with the music of Fleetwood Mac. As Shang-Chi's cat watches her every move, she talks to herself about her confliction with her relationship with the man she loves. Trying to finish her stained glass art, she fails to cut a heart as the music continues to play. With the cut of the shape being off, a frustrated Liko shatters it on the table. Grabbing her coat, she heads out the door of her apartment. On his way to his hospital, Black Jack Tar spots a painting that catches his eye. As he stops in to purchase it, his stalker is noticed by a homeless man who believes the person is a thief. Without mercy, the poor man is killed and dragged into the deeper darkness of the alley as Black Jack Tar passes it by. Satisfied where his target is heading, the assassin decides it's time to return. Inside his greenhouse, Clive Reston cuts an orchid to give to Miss Greville. Sometime later, as he arrives at the hospital, he meets with Black Jack Tar and Smith to his surprise outside the doors as they begin discussing the Secretary's health. Both him and his former boss at MI6 apologize for the recent events, leading Sir Dennis Nayland Smith to admit it might be time to retire from MI6. Reston agrees, seeing how everything has changed, and one is never unsure what they are doing is for the better. With that said, the three part on friendly terms. In Miss Greville's room, Clive Reston walks in, is a bit embarrassed to see her putting on her blouse. She excuses him as it's no big deal because she's ready to leave anyways. This gives Clive the clue to put on the charm he inherited from his father and gives Miss Greville their orchid. Finding it lovely, she insists that he call her Melissa and ask where they're off to. Reston informs her they're going to his place where he plans to cook dinner, reminding her that his father was quite the chef. That gives Melissa a laugh as she informs him that her mother used to say that as well. Back at Black Jack Tar's hotel room, Shang-Chi realizes that the music of Fleetwood Mac is changing his mood and he decides to take a walk. Hearing glass shattering in an alley, he decides to investigate just in case someone needs help. As he sneaks further into the darkness, a steel ball flies at his face. Barely dodging the ambush, Shang-Chi has to quickly react to avoid another ball as it crashes into a stained glass window. From around the corner of the building, the assassin steps forth, calling himself Skull Crusher. He informs Shang-Chi that he personally wishes him no ill will, but he has been paid to slay him before he can leave London. In a flurry, he lashes out with the steel balls, using the reach of their connecting chain to keep Shang-Chi at a distance. Finding himself at a disadvantage, our hero realizes he needs to close the distance to stand a chance against this new deadly foe. Meanwhile, at Reston's home, Melissa Greenville goes through the correspondent letters Smith gave to her as Clive makes dinner. Seeing one is addressed to Shang-Chi from an unknown woman in Hong Kong, the former agent decides he needs to open it. After reading it, there's a knock at the door. Reston is surprised to see it's Liko who admits to him she is ready, but to her surprise, she sees Melissa standing behind him. Not wasting any time, Clive Reston apologizes, admitting Liko was one night too late and that they must be going to find another poor soul. As he and Melissa get into his sports car and drive off into the night, Liko curses herself for being stupid. Back in the alley, the fight rages on. Shang-Chi's fury burns as Skull Crusher implies that he shouldn't take their fight personally. With neither gaining an advantage, a car comes screeching to a halt out on the street. Frustrated that someone has found them, the assassin hurls his weapon at Shang-Chi. Our hero ducks the attack, and as he comes up in a defensive stance, Skull Crusher has vanished. Seeing Reston's car speed by the alley exit, Shang-Chi yells for him. Grateful that he's found his friend, Clive hands Shang-Chi the letter and informs him it sounds like trouble. Seeing the letter was written by former MI6 agent known as Juliet, 
Shang-Chi knows why Skrull Crusher was paid to assassinate him. Let's go ahead and dive on to 61. When I turned to the last page of this book, I should have known what was going on in the big opening splash page that these Master of Kung Fu issues are known for. And then when you get the name Juliet, it all kind of makes sense. Um, so what you need to do after this episode, you need to go back to number 30, Claws of the Cat, with Mac East from We Get Dubbed and the Piece by Piece podcast. And this is going to kind of give you a back history of probably about what's to happen, because if this is from Juliet, we know that uh, the cat, Shin, he's involved in this as well, because he was an assassin for China, she was an MI6 assassin, they're both kind of like after each other, and they realize that they don't need either one of the sides, and they fall in love, and they forget both of their organizations. Really excellent story, it's got some great art in it. When I was posting this, and I do believe this is some of the last art that I got to put up before Marvel Unlimited took down all the Master of Kung Fu books offline. So I do believe the one great, like, horror looking piece panel I do have posted, and I'll try to uh, dig through and post that back with this. So, um, and the dead giveaway for this, and I don't know why I didn't catch it in the first page, is we've got these mystery men, and they're uh, the Bewitchers of the Night. And this is the really cool part of that story. Juliet, when Shang-Chi meets her and he's explaining to her why they're there, they're kind of like talking in code. She explains the Bewitchers of the Night. And I, I really don't want to give any of that away. Just listen to that episode. It's really cool. M me and Matt, it's probably our favorite part of that entire story. And then uh, on the last page, there's the stained glass behind Shang-Chi is images from that book. We get the head of the Bewitchers. We get Juliet singing. We get a Chinese sailboat. And we get Shin's double-headed glaive weapon and it's pretty cool and he kind of looks worried as he's reading the letter to Juliet so that right there has me completely excited for these next eight issues I do believe uh, kind of mapping them out I have new, no clue what's going on but um I really love Shin and Juliet now uh issue 61 here um it jumps into the storyline for each character and they really uh Doug Minch does a really good job of like reestablishing the status quo that was kind of broke up at the end of the saga of Warrior. He's kind of bringing everybody back together. So first, we get Smith and Tar back together. They're bros. They've been bros through this entire run. Um, Smith and Rustin are back to being cool again. So we're really setting up the MI6 team again, even though Smith's talking about leaving them. And then we have Miss Greville returning to help Smith. She was a secretary. She was the glue they held everything together, even though she was more of a background character. We'll get to that here in a second. She's kind of come to the foreground of this book. And then uh, we learn that Shang-Chi, as usual, never changes because he's still out there helping where needed, regardless of what's going around. So we're getting back to that version of him. And then uh, what, what's interesting about reestablishing this status quo is we have some characters whose roles have swapped. And mainly that's Liko Wu and Clive Rustin. Clive's always been madly in love over Liko, and Liko has rejected him, and now she's with Shang-Chi. And it does seem like she's back after him again, realizing that you know, maybe she's messed up. And then to block her, now Rustin has Melissa Greville, and they're the new couple, much like she was with Shang-Chi to block Clive Rustin. So it's an interesting dynamic, but pretty much in general sense, they're reestablishing the status quo of all these characters bringing them back together really good writing by doug minch cannot recommend it enough another thing with this book that's been kind of uh, prevalent here in the master of kung fu series 
Doug Minch has to love Fleetwood Mac. We see that uh, it seems like the song Dreams, based on the lyrics, I'm not this huge Fleetwood Mac fan, which is uh, playing from the album Rumors, as uh, this dress that Lico was wearing is kind of scandalous below the waist. But uh, we know the lyrics are playing, and we kind of even see her pull the uh, album out of the cover. And uh, the last time we've seen Fleetwood Mac in one of these books was in at 47, which is issue 54. And Sean, she plays Over My Head from their self-titled album, 1975. It's interesting, so now you're kind of like, okay, well, what's the next song that's going to play? Because this is a kind of a thing I'm keeping up with. So I was kind of doing a history of the book and uh, the the catalog of Fleetwood Mac albums. And uh, this story doesn't seem to wrap up until the summer of 78. So we might get um, Don't Stop or You Making Love Fun sometime around then. And we might have to wait until the Tusk album drops based on what I've kind of figured out. Kind of weird for this podcast, but it's just a weird thing and funny thing to kind of keep up with. Now, while she's doing this, um, Liko is cutting her stained glass. That's kind of a metaphor for what she's going through. Uh, we see her cut this hard as she's kind of reminiscing on killing Shang-Chi and Clive Reston at the end of the Saga of Warrior to kind of get lost. She's her own woman. She doesn't belong to anybody. And she cuts the heart crooked and she slams it down. So the uh, stained glass heart and the song and whatnot, it's a real good metaphor for what's going on. And then she makes this real stupid mistake. She's going to go back to Clive. And she's kind of shocked to see Clive. And you don't understand what's going on. It, it, I would have just assumed she, she's there to bang him. You know how you've had an ex. I've had exes. You know how they get after a split up. You know, you just kind of hook up every now and then until you find, until, you know, when there's nothing solid going on between you. It's just a fact of life. It happens. And uh, boy, does she get made the fool of. And, uh, and she admits it. She realizes she has done a dumb mistake. And Clive, I love Clive Reston. Uh, he's probably my favorite character through all these. And he knows he's like, gotcha. How's it feel now that the shoe's on the other foot? I love it. It's perfect. I really love what they're setting up there. Um, and through this, uh, we, we, we get Miss Greville. Now we know her first name is Melissa. And it seems like she's going to be an established character. Um, and her first appearance was issue 42, but we really don't know anything about her. We just know her as Miss Grievels. She's the secretary. And now we're getting this uh, establishment as her and Clive as a couple. Now, this is what's really, really strange about all this is um, the dialogue there at the end about the dinner. She says, oh, I didn't know secret agents could cook. He says, I'm a bachelor, remember? Besides, I picked it up for my father. He was quite the gourmet, you know. And she replies... Yes, Mother mentioned that. So, if you know anything about James Bond, man, he has been through the women in his movies and novels. And I don't know a whole lot about the James Bond franchise. I'm not going to act like I do. I should probably watch those because of this podcast. But if Clive knows anything about his father's sex sexapades, he knows Bond has no fucks given when it comes to banging girls. So, there is a good chance that... um. This could be his sister. <laughs> it's kind of comical. I mean, because she even references that her mother knew. And if Bond knows a woman, uh, he's most likely uh, bumped uglies with her. So it's a good chance it's good. they could be brother and sister. And they just not know it. It's kind of, that's pretty awful. Another thing about Melissa. Uh, I feel so bad for her because Sir Dennis Nail Smith gives her no time off. It's like, oh, 
You've recovered from your gunshot wound, from the golden daggers in the Oriental Express. Oh, you're ready to go back to work. Here's all these letters I've been holding on. It kind of shows you he's still a dickhead. I mean, you know, no room to breathe. And she's eager to work, it, it seems like it. She seems like she's a real go-getter like that, but he doesn't even care. He's like, here's your flowers. Oh, you're doing better? Here's these letters. Please go through them. And I mean, no days off. She doesn't get any downtime to recover mentally or anything. It's straight out of the hospital and right back to work. So maybe so much for not quitting MI6. But the thing is, it looks like I was talking about the status quo of these characters are established because... You know, he becomes buddy-buddy for Reston during all this while they're at the hospital. And uh, he's talking about quitting MI6, but everybody that was part of his team are all back around him and everything seems to be coming together. I mean, even with the divide with uh, Shang-Chi and Liko, we still have the couple of Clive Reston and Miss Greville. So everything seems to be back in order and it seems like these guys are not going to go anywhere anytime soon away from each other. So, um, let's talk about Skullcrusher, this villain. I kind of talked about him on the cover. Um, he seems like he's something straight up out of a savage sort of Conan. Um, like I said, he's got a very Asian warrior look to him, the long braid, the hat. Um, and he's just got these steel balls everywhere on him hanging from change. It's kind of ridiculous. I would say at this point in the series, it's probably the worst designed villain for Shang-Chi. Um, that being said, though, they have a great fight that takes place uh, throughout this book, and it cuts in and out of the story as we're, like, we'll go to Reston and Greville, and then it'll go to Liko, and then it goes to Dennis and Blackjack Tar, and it cuts up through his fight. It's perfectly paced, and it's great, and uh, these weapons prove a big problem for Shang-Chi because we realize that Skullcrusher, he's a very highly trained assassin. He's very professional. And um, he's very proficient with these balls. And he knows, like, hey, you're this great hand-to-hand -hand fighter. As long as I keep you at a distance, I'm going to beat you. And he does. Shang-Chi rarely gets close to him. And as soon as he does, um, Skullcrusher does a really good job of taking these balls and chains, wrapping them around his neck, and choking him out with them. And uh, and then Shang-Chi kind of does the, uh, you know, the martial arts thing. Like, if you get hit with a whip or a chain, you kind of wrap it up around your arms. And then you move forward and keep wrapping it around. And uh, he gets a hit. He'll manage to knock Skullcrusher back and realize he's made that mistake because then he puts Skullcrusher at that advantage as uh, they're fighting each other. And they do. They have a really good back and forth, even when it's close because Skullcrusher, these these balls and chains, I, I want to call them like a Kurosuragami, but they're not. But um, he's still really good with them up close because he wields them almost like a pair of nunchucks that close. Uh, but uh, they do, they have a really good knockout, dragout fight. And um, Clive Reston is kind of what saves the day. And you really don't know if Shang-Chi would lose at this time because uh, this fight is so freaking back and forth. So I'm very curious what's going to happen when these two guys meet again. And by what we know, based on Juliet's letters in the book, we also know at some point he's going to fight Shin again. And Shin has been his toughest opponent through, what what do we got here, almost 40 issues at this point. Not counting uh, anything from Deadly Hands of Kung Fu or Giant Size or any other team-up books that he's been in, which are very little at this time. So, um, yeah, very curious to watch these two guys brawl again and how it turns out. Because uh, 
even though he's an assassin, like I said, he's very professional. It seems to be a lot of honor. He tells Shang-Chi, don't take this personal. So uh, maybe he'll have a change of heart and he'll stick around. Who knows? But, you know, some of these characters that Shang-Chi fights are notorious for just showing up for the story and then they die and they're done. Now, the coolest thing about this book is this big Easter egg and this painting that Black Jack Tar stops by. So um, he walks by this art gallery and he's like, eh? Never was much for art, but Lord, that looks bloody powerful. As he's looking at this painting in the window, and the walls of my hotel room are blinking bare start. He says, hey, how much for that one by the Frazetta bloke? Basically, he purchases the Silver Warrior. And I thought that was really cool, the Frazetta bloke. And it's cool because um, growing up, I didn't have a comic book shop. We had a place when I was a kid called the Funny Business in the town I live in here. In a little strip mall. Uh, that strip mall caught fire, destroyed the theater, destroyed that comic book shop. I only got to go there like once or twice. So a lot of my comic book shopping was then like IGA or the local town and country, basically uh, grocers. But as I got older in high school, uh, Cards and Comics Plus opened nearby where I lived. And I didn't know who Frank Fazetta was until I seen the Death Dealer poster. And I was like, wow, that looks like somebody Conan would fight. I have to have this because I grew up and cut my teeth on Savage Short Conan growing up. And uh, lo and behold, you kind of fall in love with Fazetta once you see his stuff. And then I seen all the, you know, as I grew up, I learned of all the horror stuff that he had done. Um, and a lot of the Conan stuff. So... Yeah, I thought that was a pretty cool little Easter egg for this book, and uh, I really wanted to leave that here at the end of this for everybody listening, because if you love comics, you kind of have to love uh, Frazetta. The dude's a legend. But I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up. I'm very curious to see what happens here in issue 62. Go back to issue 30. Make sure you listen to Claws of Cat with me and Matt Keese to kind of well, give you a background on these characters you're about to probably get introduced in the next two or three issues. I'm just a rumor wrapping up Daily Podcast Kung Fu. You can follow me over on Instagram, Twitter, and threads at Daily Kung Fu Pod. If you like my music, check out uh, Russian Tiger by Kuro over on SoundCloud. But remember, guys, support your favorite podcasts, support your local comic book shops, and keep reading comics, guys. Oh!